We've been fighting a long time. We've all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Welcome everybody back. Steve coming in with Sense Fidelia and with our special guest as probably about third or fourth. But I lost count after one. Aaron Singh of Tradibox. Welcome back, bud. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me again, Steve. Thank you for doing what you're doing because what we got for y'all out is what Leo the 13th said, and I quote, knowing Kinesius was synonymous with preserving the Christian faith. And Aaron with Tradibox has brought back the Kinesius Catechism, which I'll let him tell more about this. Who is he? Why is it important? And a certain pope used to just say the Kinesius. Aaron, the, who was St. Peter Kinesius? St. Peter Kinesius, the great uh, the great German Jesuit. That's a good... Wait a minute, he's German? Uh, We're done. That's right. It's like the <laughs> both things. Well, Dutch technically. So in the Netherlands... Um, he's, he's a native. He's I was a, just kidding. I was trying to insult the Germans, but I was just a Rhinelander. Well, that's, that would include me too. So I'll, I'll try not to make it personal, but yes, it's, uh, no, he, he's, he's, a he's a combination of things that don't seem to go together, uh, so much anymore today. Right. It's, he's a, you have a Rhineland, uh, Rhineland background and a Jesuit and incredibly Orthodox. Uh, he's, a, he's a, a patron becomes the patron saint of catechists. Uh, catechumens, also those learning the faith. He he is as not only Leo the Thirteenth, as you point out, but other popes have pointed out. He's his name kind of becomes synonymous with catechism and catechesis. He is one of the great teachers of the faith. Certainly, uh, the most outstanding, alongside Robert Bellarmine, his his brother Jesuit of the uh, the Reformation period, the Catholic Counter-Reformation. And speaking uh, of Bellamin, uh, the Catechism of Bellamin, stop me if I'm incorrect, Council Trent thought about making that the, the main catechism for the church, and he said if he knew that Peter wrote a catechism, he would have never done it. That's right. Yes, they they're working uh, they're working kind of side by side, but uh, some some nations apart from one another. And by the time Bellarmine had learned that, yes, Peter Canisius had already written not one but a few catechisms, uh, he did. He we placed we put that story in the preface of this volume. Volume, uh, where are we on nine? Volume nine of the Tradivox series, which are contains uh, two of Canisius's uh, catechisms. The, certainly the most. Uh, beloved, most well-known, the most widely disseminated. Uh, he also has the honor, Peter Canisius, of being the, still, still being uh, the most highly published Dutch author uh, in all history of print. His, his catechism was uh, an international bestseller almost overnight, and it, uh, yeah, he, he, he remains the most widely published Dutch author. I Full wish stop. I had a Michael Myers video of, and the Dutch. <laughs> that's right he and he's he's uh he's taken as the, the patron really by the germans so i 
I, I do some uh, some constant patron saint robbing in that regard with our, our well, German just, family. But I mentioned a, a recent pope who just died. He sung the praises of him too. <clears throat> That's right. Benedict has so Benedict the Sixteenth was uh, was interviewed about uh, catechesis, you know, several times over his pontificate. Um, and also any, pretty much any time that Peter Canisius feast rolled around, he would give you know, a homily or, or speak to his significance, um, historically, but most importantly, and of course dear to his heart, uh, was his role in Germany. I mean, Peter Canisius is the reason that there are still Catholics in Germany. If there are any Catholics in Germany, it is likely, uh, they, they have some direct indebtedness to Peter Canisius because he... Upon entering the Jesuits, 1543, he's sent uh, almost immediately to Germany to establish the first Jesuit house there on the ground in the Archdiocese of Cologne. Um, some have perhaps seen the amazing pictures or, or been there personally. The, uh, the Kölner Dam, the great cathedral of Cologne, it was it was the... Uh, well, so it was the tallest building in the world for uh, many years, among other things. But it is it is a masterpiece of Gothic architecture, um, and this this archdiocese, archdiocese of Cologne, was also a center for the university. That's of course why uh, Peter Canisius is first on site there, and then the Jesuits, with such an emphasis on study as well as uh, teaching and and missionary labors, uh, he's. Uh, Canisius is seen as, you know, very, very promising in all those roles. And so he's sent to establish the first Jesuit house there in Germany. But of course, Germany is having some problems in the mid 16th century. <laughs> like the story of German history. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just an incredibly tumultuous period. You, you have uh, a course with the the uh, the all of the fallout from the Protestant revolt, which is burgeoning there, and it's <clears throat> it's kind of a, a hotbed, you know, for these heretical ideas, and then their dissemination as well through print, especially, um, which at this time is kind of coming into its own in terms of the mechanization. So you you have you know the beginnings of uh, more efficient means of mechanized print, and so. You know, there's this disseminating of heretical ideas and uh, and the same for uh, the Catholic. But uh, but into the midst of all that, you have wars. I mean, Germany is is ravaged by uh, many of them are confessional wars. They're religious wars in nature um, or at least have that character. Uh, but a lot of it is is older than that. It, it predates the the Protestant revolt that predates some of these heretical ideas. Uh, in fact, in many cases, they're kind of borrowed as justifications for um, wars being fought on on other lines, property related, um, wealth related, uh, even you know nationally national national interests, other national interests, these kind of things. So <clears throat> it's. Um, well, and I, I remember, I think you had uh, a conversation, what was it? it wasn't long ago, maybe with Ryan uh, Grant, I, I can't recall, but I remember seeing something you had done where they were talking about this, how in, in many cases it was a, a, a kind of the, the rich against the poor. You had this strange yeah. phenomenon happening. Yeah. 
right in the wake of Protestantism where there's this total smash grab operation when you have uh, wealthy nobility and higher that see this, this new possibility of uh, becoming greatly enriched on, on the backs of you know, seizure of uh, church properties and uh, these kind of things. And so the, the religious kind of the, um, the doctrinal issues are in many ways, they're kind of brought in as you know, justifications for some of this work. Not unlike uh, to, to take a little, uh, maybe raise some, some uh, hackles a bit and, and perhaps get you canceled, but our own, our own history of nation building in this, on this continent, right? I mean, we, there's, there's another issue that's certainly a moral issue, but is, is used and kind of brought in to uh, help uh, motivate a um, rationale and justification for a major war fought on this uh, here soil. Always uh, follow the money. That's right. Uh, so, uh, yes, so a bit of a tangent, but that's that's where we find Canisius. He's he's landed in the middle of a of, of war-torn, worn-out, uh, <clears throat> weary kind of Germany. Uh, and he's also in the backyard of one of who end up becoming the most notorious uh, heretics in the country, um, who also happens to be a Catholic archbishop. This is a detail I think is worth recalling. And we mention it in the preface a little bit kind of in, uh, in a uh, thumbnail. Um, but uh, should we talk about this? Is this <laughs> go for it? Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> this is worth worth uh, digging in. Maybe your your uh, listeners wouldn't care about this detail. I find it I find it fairly pertinent. Um, so you have a religious order being established in Cologne. Um, the the Jesuits are are showing up, you know, on site. But Hermann von Wied is the archbishop, and uh, he is he, he's a heretic. So. You have this, of course, problem increasingly in Western Europe at that time where uh, bishops are embracing heresy, uh, some of them more quietly than others, uh, some, some of them not quietly at all. But they're beginning to preach these, these heretical doctrines from the pulpit. They're beginning to uh, educate their priests on them, you know, require priests to uh, assent to them at various levels require them being taught in schools. Um, these, these are tremendously confusing times is, is one of the observations I think we need to make for the period is especially for Catholic lay folk, right? Who, what do you do? You go into your, uh, your, your parish for mass or for a, um, a sermon, an adult faith formation session. Uh, and, and your priest is, is now communicating ideas that seem to contradict what you learned, uh, you know, last year or, or what were taught to you as a child. Um, and yet these are things being taught uh, on the authority of the local priest in many ways uh, and in many cases who is referencing the teaching of his bishop, who is the Catholic bishop, or so we thought. <laughs> it's, it's a tremendously confusing period. Um, on the ground is, is what we really, we really have to observe that. And this is one of those cases. So you have Archbishop uh, 
Von Wied in, uh, in Cologne, who spends years in his see, in, in the see, the Archdiocese of Cologne, uh, teaching heresy openly and uh, training priests in the same. Uh, and, and into that comes the young uh, Saint Peter Canisius, who, who we, we later know as Saint uh, Peter Canisius. And he's with the first name Saint, yes. That's right, that's right. Comes a nice abbreviation. <clears throat> he he uh, he doesn't take up with the new ideas. In fact, he makes it one of his major operating points to oppose uh, these these heretical doctrines at whatever level he can. I mean, he he's known to do these little like town square kind of uh, uh, catechesis sessions. You know, he's he's hosted from place to place. Um, and the, the biggest work, of course, that he does, and the reason that uh, German Catholics everywhere are so indebted to him, is ultimately is the composition of his catechism. His is one of the first uh, to the fray. He's asked to uh, compose it by the Emperor Ferdinand the um, first while he's in Vienna, and the the aim is, hey, we we're having so much uh, upheaval in terms of, of social, just the social strata is, is so uh, dicey. You know, our whole situation is so dicey that in the midst of this, we're seeing really every aspect of the Catholic faith is being undermined by these, these various kind of Protestant systems. Uh, no two of which seem to agree with each other and there's a new one each day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and we need, what we need, says the emperor, is a concise, a systematic uh, exposition of the truths of the faith in an accessible way, certainly for uh, priests and instructors, but also readable by uh, the faithful. And so that kind of begins the, the project, Canisius's uh, project of the the catechism, uh, which which really is three catechisms. We kind of explain this and it gets, it gets confusing, all manuscript uh, all manuscript history takes some work, but uh, so but large, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it, it's not just he he basically he writes three catechisms. There's mm -hmm. kind of a a big one, a small one, and a really really small one. <laughs> it's, it's basically the gist. But then they're published and printed under you know, several different names, <clears throat> Latin and you know translated. Uh, and so that that becomes it becomes fairly convoluted. So we try to we try to kind of spell some of that out in the preface uh, of this volume nine, the Tradivox series. Um, but the the main takeaway here is that this volume recaptures the the two that are the most significant historically uh, and and doctrinally theologically, and that's his his big one and his his little one or or kind of the middle length one is is also called. Um, and those two catechisms are, are in this volume, volume nine. I thought it was pretty cool that there's no fewer than 300 editions across Austria, Bohemia, France, Slovenia, Hungary, Spain, Sweden, Ethiopia, India, China, and Japan appeared during the author's own lifetime. Uh, they, you said it was like the, the best, the first bestseller. I mean, that's incredible. It was, and it it's one of those things where the the times asked for such a work, and it was it was just best suited to to filling the need, and that's that's really why it was 
Canisius combined in a in a time of tremendous uh, you know, character assassination and very scurrilous discourse. I mean, we get really bothered about that in our own time. You know, all political discourse has just devolved into mudslinging and it's and it's unintelligent and you know well nothing new under the sun right i mean if you read if you read any of the exchanges of you know, major players i mean martin luther is, is just profane it's just disgusting to read some of his stuff uh but it's matched in a lot of ways by several of his uh catholic interlocutors at the time so it's it's um it, that's that's really the color the kind of uh the tenor of of the period and Canisius is very far removed from that. That's one of the most remarkable things about his, uh, he, both his his public kind of uh, witness, which is seen by many. I mean, he he personally brings uh, many Protestants back into the fold um, just just by the fact of that kind of his his gentleness, his charity. He's he's never um, he's never unclear. You know, he he never does the we'll kind of walk on doctrines that we disagree about and just kind of sing happy songs together. I mean, he's very clear about um, the difference and the need for right faith in the various, you know, articles of the creed and, and that which has always been held and taught. But he does that in a tremendously charitable way, a very patient way. Uh, he, he just, he has a pastor's gift for shepherding souls. And so when his catechism hits the press, it's kind of all of that and more. Because he, as as we you know point out in this volume, <laughs> he adds so much scholarly apparatus. It's it just it's almost mind boggling. I mean, you you get a glimpse of how someone like this can be out in the, in the public uh, uh, preaching and teaching the faith, and then can just rattle off you know scripture and church fathers references because he he just he knows them all uh, by heart. And then he, he does that same work in the catechism. I mean, the first, the large catechism has, let me find the last number here, because I can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, let's see, 1,792 footnotes in, in the large catechism. These are, just, these are just document citations. You know, it's scripture, it's the fathers. Um, he every is, page, yeah, every page is like five to eight. And each, just, you know, I mean, this is what, four-inch pages? Yeah. Five-inch pages? It's loaded. So you have really two things going on in that catechism. You have the readable, um, you know, concise Q&A format, which is, you know, most of the page. And then in the, yeah, in the, in the bottom of the page, you have all of the scholarly apparatus. Hey, if you want to go deeper on this doctrine, here's, you know, these five church fathers, these are the texts you have to look at. Um, and for this particular volume, well, really the whole series, um, we, we've done a lot of the legwork on updating some of the citations to more recognizable um, document names, because back then, a lot of these citations, you would just, you would just have uh, an author say, well, as Augustine says, da -da 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 -da, you know, no citation, or, yeah. you know, you'd say, as Augustine says in City of God, let's say, uh, da, 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 da. But no, you know, well, which book of the city of God, which, which chat, you know, you only wrote 6,000 books, which one do you have? <laughs> that's right. So, so we've done a lot of that in terms of expanding uh, the, the apparatus itself, just so folks can, you, you want a deeper dive, Canisius is your man. And, uh, and there's, there's plenty to chew on here. Yeah, one of the uh, notes you wrote in the preface, there are presently over, uh, for my English-speaking people, there are presently over 1,100 known editions of this work. 
Yes, yeah, this is a cool line with the, that goes back to the Bellman. If I have, if I knew that he was going to write was writing a new catechism, I would have simply translated Peter's catechism from Latin into Italian. <laughs> and he was, and his is great. You do this catechism, you do Bellman in this catechism. You don't have to worry about that one. Those ones converted countries. <laughs> they do. They come. They come decorated. Yes. Right, they're they're highly decorated catechisms. Yes, I, that's that's one of the most like significant aspects of just the the Tradivox collection generally is exactly what you say. You have you have texts that have stood the test of time, as it were. Um, they they come with with battle medals, you know, pinned pinned to the breast already of saying these these texts made the difference. You know, they made uh, they made an internal difference for for many souls uh, over the last however many centuries any one of these catechisms has, you know, to its, to its name. And Canisius and Bellarmine, as you point out, those are two uh, catechisms that they've never gone out of style. They've never gone out of print. You know, they, you have so many hundreds of editions uh, over all these centuries. And yet, um, why do they continue? Why, why does any catechism uh, continue to be relevant? Well, because it's the faith, right? Is the faith relevant? Well, then a simple clear distillation of Catholic doctrine, faith and morals, is going to retain this kind of instant classic uh, status. And some are going to be brighter lights in the firmament of, uh, of the Catholic manuscript tradition than others. And that's really been our focus, is trying to find those the brightest of those lights over the last millennium and, and stack them up against each other. And Canisius, of course, is he's, 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 uh, he's wonderful. And on a side note, everyone's worried about things that might happen in the next months or so. Uh, nobody from Rome is going to cancel you buying these books and teaching your kids or yourself in your house. So you want something that they can't do anything for? I would get the books from Tradivox at your house and just say, you know, you, you can always educate yourself. The Japanese went through two centuries of not without priests. These are literally gold on paper. So just throwing that out there for this going. You talk about catechism. You got one catechism that you were going to get killed for if you had it on your person. And you got things like this that literally converted entire countries. So make the investment. They're tremendous. I appreciate the plug there, Steve. It's just, yeah. It is. It's the check, the check uh, cleared. <laughs> that's right. No, we we um we see we see the value as well today, not not just for obviously the content is is gold as you say, the the historical significance is tremendous, um, and of course you know we're we're doing a top shelf binding and all of these things just because they're they're monuments. These are monuments to uh, Catholic faith and morals. They're monuments to the enduring nature of the faith across time and space. You know, here we are. You can pull a catechism from. You know, north North Central Africa eight centuries ago, and and you know sub suburban America just a few decades ago, and there's this remarkable continuity of doctrine across space and time. But also the <clears throat> their significance uh, today as really an indictment in many ways of uh, ways in which we've we've parted from that deposit in in, in many regards. That's that's part of why I think setting the historical uh, framework for each of these volumes has been really helpful for folks. We hear that from uh, 
from readers uh, of of the series that say, "Well, golly, I, you know, I not only am I learning things that maybe I wasn't taught in CCD, and that's very strange, but also these things that I'm learning apparently were common knowledge to grade schoolers who were going to the scaffold uh, for confessing these same points of doctrine." just a few centuries ago, you know? And so we do, we, we see the value in um, kind of painting the picture a little bit. We try to do that as well here with Canisius because one of the things that marks Canisius' uh, whole, you know, his, his whole work of uh, doing catechesis in Germany and Austria in the Rhineland uh, more, more broadly is that he's doing that in the middle of an ecclesiastical battlefield. I mean, it, it can't be, overstated that he he's he's there in disobedience of the local archbishop doing what he's doing when, when he shows up in cologne you you have an archbishop who is uh, opposing the catholic doctrine in a public way uh who is encouraging his priests to do the same who is in fact uh facilitating the spread of heresy in in his own uh diocese and abroad we recorded this on St. Cyril's Day, so it's kind of like an historian all over again. It's Constantinople. Right, yeah. So a thousand years earlier, you've got something very similar going on. I mean, so just the point being that we we can't uh, we can't look at the saints. We can't look at these these massive, you know, uh, figures, these our forebears in faith, and just see them through a kind of you know, picturesque, uh, holy card kind of setting as much as that art is so important, you know, and, and of course, um, we, we really, I think having a, a greater kind of historical appreciation for what, what they endured, the work that they did, um, uh, precisely when they did it, uh, is, is really significant. So Canisius is definitely. That's a great point. Cause everyone probably thinks they sit around there enthroned. Everyone was loving them, sending them pizza, cooking for them. Things like that. Most of these guys were living under persecution and hated on by everyone. And even like brought up Cyril, everyone was talking trash about him, condemning him left and right, uh, threatening him, and he just didn't care except for the purity of the faith, as he says. So that's right, and it's it's eminently simple. I mean, that that's I think the reason that we we are so enamored with saints generally, and. Um, and, and I think Peter Canisius specifically, is that these, these men had very simple motivations. They loved Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, they, that, was, that was everything. He, he was all in all for them. Um, they, they came to do one job, and they, they weren't really concerned about <laughs> the, the, the earthly results. I mean, it, it, um, it led to, we talked about this, I think, in the last time that I was on, it led to amazing creativity, right? You had many that were, they were going to a, a really a striking lengths to uh, bring the doctrine of the faith, you know, wherever they could uh, in these periods of persecution. Uh, so it wasn't like they were just, they were just running out and declaring themselves and hoping to get martyred anytime. Uh, but in, in, on the same token, they weren't afraid of that. And they weren't uh, they weren't uh, they weren't allergic to uh, criticism from their own ranks. I mean, from their own superiors in many cases. You know, again, Canisius, here he is. He's his his bishop, the local bishop, the archbishop, uh, one of the greatest sees in the country. There, 
uh, who is is heavily involved in uh, promoting heresy locally. Uh, and here's Canisius doing doing the opposite and just calmly kind of proceeding on his way for the glory of God and uh, extension of, of the true faith. And, There's a Leo the 13th wrote in his, uh, what was it? The third centenary of his death quote, there exists in effect certain analogies between our age and the period in which Canisius lived a period when the spirit of revolution and looseness of doctrine resulted in the great loss of faith and decline in morals. He's talking about the late 1700s uh, or 1800s uh, to deliver youth, blah, blah, blah. The, the, to deliver youth, especially from this double scourge, was the goal of this man who, after Boniface, was the second apostle of Germany. His catechisms were used not only in the schools as the spiritual milk for the children, but they were also explained publicly in the churches to the benefit of all. Thus, during three centuries, Canisius had been regarded as the teacher of Catholics in Germany. And as a popular, that line I may not begin at the beginning, in popular speech, knowing Canisius was synonymous with preserving the Christian faith. That's solid from a you know sitting pope 300 years later. That's right. They seem very uh, applicable today. The same. Uh... Yeah. yeah, you could easily say that 200 years later, 500 years later. I mean, nothing's changed. I mean, as bad. Think about. It, wonder what Leo would say today. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's risky to go thinking this. Along those lines, what would what would any of the uh, earlier popes say about our own time? Yes, it's it's um, it's very resounding as well when you think about the uh, just the the natural consequences, you know, the the temporal consequences that were held out for uh, Catholics in in a period like this, where <clears throat> you know, in our own time. Uh, maintaining the faith is has a lot of uh, social ramifications still you know it always has in in these united states um in fact i was you know it's not long ago i was at a uh, i was at a, a diocese that had a a whole display on it was fascinating i don't know if they're still doing it or not but they had a um one of the one of the previous uh bishops of of this diocese had a private collection that then the the <clears throat> chancery had turned into like an exhibit, like a museum exhibit. And it was anti-Catholic propaganda. That was, that was the collection. Like one of these bishops was just kind of his hobby. He, he collected these things from, uh, you know, earliest, early America to, uh, uh, I, th I think, I can't remember when that bishop was. It was probably early, early 1900s, maybe. Um, and it's just remarkable. You know, it's, it's, cause it's, that was, uh, that was just standard fare. You know, any newspaper, uh, any, any like magazine ads for, for this or that, you know, keep your kids away from popery, you know, these kind of stuff. I mean, and this, that's just our heritage, you know, Catholics uh, in this country have uh, really always suffered some kind of social penalty, um, formal or informal. And, and I think that will continue. Um, I think that there will be added costs. Uh, I mean, we're already seeing some of that, but it, that'll intensify. And so these these kind of historical lessons of um, those who endured that, that same kind of periods and not only kept the faith, uh, but found ways to extend it, you know, in their own spheres of influence, those those continue to be instructive for us. And so so Canisius is doing that again, not only in the midst of this these temporal um, 
that's the wrong word, uh, civil, you know, not only in the midst of uh, civil government upheavals, but ecclesiastical as well. Mm-hmm. So you, you have dioceses changing hands, you have, you know, the forcible expulsion of uh, solid Catholic priests. And then in a few months or a few years time, the, the complete reversal, you know, by force of arms, you're going to get rid of the intruders, the schismatics, the heretics, you know, and, and uh, ask these different religious orders to send priests so we can staff these parishes again. That's going on for, uh, you know, g- multiple generations in, in some of these places. And so it's um, uh, l- learning to, uh, uh, yeah, st- learning to study those who kept their heads in the midst of that. And, and what, what did they do? Um, what was their driving motivation? I think that's that's one of the most uh, instructive lessons from these great catechists of the past, and uh, and the common denominator, of course, is that they served Christ first. I mean, we we mentioned that, but their their first concern is uh, the the glory of Christ, the extension of His kingdom on earth, and um, and they just found you know amazing ways to to achieve that, to seek that. And people's number one complaint, if you ask them, what is wrong with the church of these days? Though most times we'll say number one answer is catechesis, bad catechesis. So what Aaron and Trady Vox is doing, I might have said this already again. There's an Here's the solution. This is a solution-based show in a sense. We're giving you guys information on gold, and we're now explaining you why these, these are gold like the Bonner catechism or anything like these guys were literally going to get killed if they got caught with this. Or in his sense, he went through all these revolutions where uh, I would say, Aaron, would you, would you uh, say I'm wrong on this? They would probably way better. The adversaries were smarter and more violent than anyone we could come in contact today. I mean, you're not having the Lutherans or Baptists coming and threatening like they did back then where uh, the Calvinists, you know, the, even the hung, drawn, drawn, and quartering in England, but they did that in the Dutch areas as well. Some areas, you're not having this. You can actually learn the faith and maybe teach your neighbors stuff like this. Yes, it's it's certainly we aren't we aren't at that degree of persecution here. Would we ever get there? Who knows? Uh, but but yes, it should be it should be cause of inspiration and maybe a little bit of conviction as well. I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier, maybe in the last show uh, that. What are we up to? Right? If, if if there's if there is uh, a any any kind of um, uh, danger to faith, what are we doing about it? You know, lay persons, priests, uh, clergy. I I am concerned that um, and reading Canisius just <laughs> it it brings all of this this back because in germany they had there's another this phenomenon of uh, pietism right and wait a minute. aaron people are tweeting well yes well that's that's something i guess I <laughs> they're doing tweet they're on twitter that's doing something there Ta- I, yeah, well, I'm, yeah i'm not i'm not much up on the on the twitter sphere so i i don't know but uh, i'm sure that well that's that's better than nothing perhaps i, I don't know Take that! <laughs> this uh, this priest, among others, who shows up in an archdiocese, defies his bishop uh, in in complete charity, and and uh, because of that charity, is unable to comply with unjust commands. is is um, unwilling to uh, let's say sit down and shut up, uh, among other things. In fact, he's he's going to produce what becomes you know the the biggest international bestseller. Uh, 
ever, certainly for a Dutch author, 500 years later remains the most published book by any author. And what is it? Well, it's a confession of the Catholic faith as held and taught always everywhere by all prior to that time. Why does such a book become so impactful? Well, it's precisely because that was that was the time that such a book was needed. Um, so he, yes, he and others, you know, any number of, of witnesses could be brought for that kind of approach. But these are men who are, <clears throat> again, placing uh, obedience to Christ first. And, and so those who would part from that obedience, even if they be their own superiors, th this is remarkable, right, for a Jesuit. Yeah, for Jesuits, right? because that's, Jesuits are all about that, right? To, like total unquestioning obedience. Well, uh, not so. Uh, here, here you have, again, one among many examples uh, to the contrary. So it's, I think it's just a matter of that, you know, placing, placing Christ first. And, um, and they're, they're, they're convicted about that sufficiently that they, they aren't content to uh, allow let's say the divine rights of the faithful to be infringed. The, yeah, there's uh, a lot to that. I mean, Cyril today, I mean, Garnier writes about that. And <clears throat> how long, how many years did Cyril charitably ask for Nestorius to convert, to repent and drop his errors before he basically put that, put down the gauntlet on him. And uh, yeah, Garnier writes about that. So we have to, uh, read, well, you guys just go read it. How about that? You guys, read, we're talking about this one. You read that Garanger write-up. It's posted everywhere. It's on the dot-com site. Uh, it was very, it's, it's kind of like what Aaron was saying, too. But before laymen start doing that, you better know what we what you love. And when you know what you love, that gets that internal, kind of like in a, was it St. Apollinarius uh, write-up, talked about that. Her internal fire was hotter than the fire that they stoked for her. So mm. the, more you, the more you read about things, the more you, the more you love and the saints you know, then that, how would you say, that uh, holy fire gets a little bit better than just, uh, you don't want to go into Megan Rapino. I deserve this style. Mm. There's, there's a danger that you got to make, let's make sure you're grounded in your faith first. Yes, I, I think we need a, a solid intellectual grounding uh, in the faith, like like never before, I was just uh, I was just speaking to uh, it was another it was a Catholic father in um, uh, it was uh, it was a conversation I was having anyway. Is he and he was relating that uh, kind of realization to me of well, I'm I'm just finding that I need to be more solid in my faith than I just by way of necessity really mm -hmm. in our time, um, not only because of you know, St. Peter's constant admonition, you know, always be prepared uh, to, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. That's always uh, germane. That's always pertinent. But I think in our own time, when we, whether they're personally present or not, uh, we have a lack of uh, good teachers. That's, that's becoming apparent. You know, we, and that's precisely when the catechism genre kind of gets its legs is at that same kind of juncture in many nations, nations that had been Catholic, like in England's case, you know, for a thousand years mm -hmm. um, that suddenly are just are just being lost to a whole whole uh, major regions, you know, swaths of human population that had just been Catholic had always been, you know, they, they just that's all they remember. They generations back and back and back. Um, you know, in uh, estates, family estates, they're just, 
of course we have one or many chapels you know on site because this is just how it's always been and then you know all of a sudden in a generation or two or three this massive loss of faith uh, geographically and with that the the uh, loss or expulsion uh, of of sound teachers you know the in person men uh, ordained men to come in and uh, teach the truth, the extension of the charism, you know, of, of the bishop to teach. And uh, in their place, the, the catechism, really, that's that's part of why the catechism becomes <clears throat> such a uh, such a hot ticket item in the in those years is that the catechism becomes what they call the, the dumb preacher. Um, you can hide a catechism a lot easier than you can hide a priest. Uh, you can uh, you can carry one around a lot easier than you can than you can uh, could transport a priest you know to and from. So oh, finally get on my back. We're going. Let's just stash <laughs> him in the back seat here, and we'll just throw some sacks over and hope nobody asks any questions. Quiet down there. There's just potatoes back there. That's right. No, but and you could read it to your family over and over and over again. So you got your you got Saint Peter sitting at your house every day. If you get this book, teaching your family. The knowledge of a doctor for church helping you become a saint. So get this for your family, buy it for your seminary, buy it for your priest, buy the series. I, I'm all about getting the series. People, you, everyone talks about a catechetical uh, problem we have. There's a reason why the catechism in the year series is number one. Here are some solid catechisms. Not trashing any other catechism. We're not, I'm not trashing a thing. Get them and read them. Because there's some there's some great ones just, just for kids in this series. Yes, uh, th that's one of my favorite things is that um, the catechisms among the thousands, you know, that have been issued over the last several centuries from every continent, you know, with the exception, I guess, of, of the, uh, the Antarctic. Um, boy, that's, that's the next thing we got to get is some, some priest or bishop to go uh, promulgate a catechism from, from the frozen uh, regions of, of the globe. I think that would, that would make it, that would round it out. But um no, the, these these texts have been composed with uh, with different audiences in mind, both both at uh, age level, at uh, uh, reading level, you know, comprehension level. Some with more pictures, some with uh, more stories, some with more scripture, some with more fathers. Some, you know, it's so it's it's a it's a very broad sampling. That's that's one of the strengths. Uh, and that is also why, you know, the final volume of the collection, volume 20, <clears throat> has to be a, an index just by itself. It is a standalone index volume because it does the work of uh, allowing all of these texts to talk to each other. You know, it's, it's a major uh, undertaking to, to cross-reference, as you might imagine. Um, but it, it does that. And it's, it's remarkable the, the series is remarkable in its display of the continuity, you know, of doctrine, as we've kind of said. And for the same reason, it comes as something of a surprise to a lot of people who have, I think, you know, of course, of course, falsely, but um, I'm not sure really where this notion comes from. Uh, but there are a lot of accusations, right, that uh, the church doctrine, specifically, you know, settled doctrine, can change from time to time or place to place, depending on local circumstances and you know, these kind of things. And and uh, and what we see is it's quite the contrary. Right through through history, you have these texts 
that are, I mean, you can't get a more divergent context from where these different catechisms come from, not just time period, but geographically, right? You have the, uh, the North American martyrs uh, using these texts, laboriously working to master <clears throat> pagan indigenous languages so that they can have you know, a text and then you and then you read the thing. You, well, well, this doesn't say anything new, right? <laughs> you, you have uh, you have these uh, these these classic principles of uh, faith and reason, uh, the the classic application of um, moral conduct that stems from you know this this doctrine, this divine doctrine that the church has retained over time, and the continuity is is remarkable across time and space. So that is that's one of the great strengths of the series as a whole so give us the final pitch on why should people get saint peter well all in general but saint peter is specifically yes why you bring him into your home <clears throat> that's right canisius he this this volume is i think the the pairing of the two canisius catechisms together uh which has never been done in print so so we have you know most of the book that's how i'll hold it up here for those watching most of the book uh, is the one, the large catechism uh, that goes from, you know, front to to here is the large catechism. And then you have what's almost kind of a, a glorified appendix, really, <laughs> of the small catechism. Um, and it's it is a a as as the title belies is a, a really condensed, highly reduced, highly distilled uh, iteration of the first one follows the same pattern. Uh, Canisius and Bellarmine and others used the threefold pattern, uh, was kind of the common catechetical model at the time. And uh, so, you, so you have really best of both worlds. One that's much, in, they're both Q&A format, but, <clears throat> but Canisius does a lot more legwork, <clears throat> excuse me, in the large catechism. In the small one, it's, uh, it's just more highly distilled, even uh, memorizable answer length um so for that reason yes this one this one's fantastic canisius has been known for centuries as you know the patron saint the great patron saint of uh, of catechists and catechumens uh and this is why you know this this is precisely why what what you hold in this volume uh is why this is the catechism in many ways that saved uh catholicism in in the rhineland um it could do so again Links will be underneath in the show notes, obviously. To, again, get the subscription. Get one for your priest, seminary. That's, that's all I was giving them. Lent, get something. Get, you know, help educate the educate your priests a little bit. They might not know of this. Not saying that they're dumb, but give them, give them a little bit. Get something, get something for your seminary as well. Do something that someone wants to do something. Here's some, here's some solutions. Aaron, appreciate your time as always. We'll do a, do another one again soon, I'm sure. Let's do it. Appreciate it. Take care, man.